Hello and welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Leadership Academy Network. I am your host, Colin Cernelia, and thank you so much for joining us today. Please head over to talent409.com to learn more about how we can help your team or organization with their leadership and culture development. This podcast is available on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Plus, don't forget, you can now play this podcast on any Amazon-enabled device. Just ask Alexa, play the Dynamic Leaders podcast. Getting Dynamic Leaders with Colin Treniglia from Apple Podcasts. Before this episode begins, please consider taking a minute and leave a rating and review. Doing this really does help us grow the show, and you can get featured for your review on a future episode. All right, and on to episode 117 of the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, today's special Labor Day edition. My guest on today's show is Landis Wade. Landis is a retired trial lawyer of 35 years from Charlotte, North Carolina, Instead of defending conflict, he now writes about it. As an author and the host of the Charlotte Readers podcast, Landis also played college football at Davidson College. A few of the topics we get into today on our talk include developing an opportunistic attitude, how he took the discipline and the preparation traits he learned in athletics and transferred it into his law career, writing his first book series about lawyers who save Christmas, and why challenges make for a more interesting life. I specifically want to point out the opportunistic attitude portion of this conversation. Landis is a person who, as a kid, had never run back a kick and decided one year during his college career that he could run back kicks just because he has an opportunistic attitude He has started a podcast now after 30 plus years as a lawyer because he has an opportunistic attitude. I think that's a really good reminder for all of us to have. Plus, I really love Landis' story because his life arc is all about transition. And a lot of our talk on this show is about transition, specifically after we graduate from college and life after sport ends for the majority of us. But As we all know, as I've talked about multiple times on this podcast, transition won't just happen at one time. If you're lucky and you're fortunate enough, you're going to live a long time in life after sport. And Landis, his story, it beautifully illustrates how many times he's had to transition in his own life. In my life, I've had to transition multiple times as well. In my professional career, I did 10 years in the restaurant industry. I'm in year seven now in recruiting in HR, and I'm in year three with my own business as an entrepreneur. I got married two and a half years ago. I have my first kid. There's been a lot of transition in my life, and I'm only 31 years old, and I've been out of school for just about 10 years now. So I want to challenge you if you are going through a transition to not just know that there are other transitions on the horizon, not to scare you, but to take this opportunity and learn about it. I know when Christine and I moved, that was a really big learning opportunity for the both of us that I think has really helped prepare us now as parents and has 
weirdly enough just <laughs> made it that that was probably the the biggest thing that we had ever done obviously the biggest thing we had ever done to that point outside of getting married to each other but now that we've done the move it almost seemed like when we were going to become parents that we just weren't as scared because we had done something that was really daunting that was really unknown and we conquered it we're still learning we're still growing charlotte is home but we still have a lot to do here so i challenge you if there's a transition happening in your life right now to see it as a positive and to take it as a learning opportunity because there will be more transitions in your life this is not just a one-time thing and again landis his story beautifully illustrates all of that so let's not waste any more time and let's get right into the conversation and let's discover our talent altitude. Here is my talk with Landis Wade. Welcome back to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, my guest with me, a very special guest, Landis Wade. Landis, thank you so much for joining the show. Hey, Colin. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for asking me. Absolutely. I'm glad to have you and your background and the things that you've done in your life are very interesting, not just to me, but I'm sure they're going to be of interest to the listening audience here. We're going to really take a deep dive into some of that here in just a minute, but before we get too far away, I do like to give my guests an opportunity to tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself. So please tell us, who are you? Well, I guess currently I would describe myself as a recovering trial lawyer, <laughs> an author, and a uh, podcast host, uh, having been 35 years as a trial lawyer here in Charlotte, and uh, along the way, very much interested in sports and anything with the ball. And uh, that's the short version. If you want me to expand on that, I'm happy to do it. But I did grow up here in Charlotte. I, I went to public schools, to, uh, then went off to Davidson College and went to Wake Forest Law School, came back, practiced 35 years, as I said, as a, as a trial lawyer and uh, decided in my 50s I, I wanted to write about conflict more than I wanted to experience it on a daily basis. So I, <laughs> I started writing uh, a few books and, and then uh, I thought I would want to talk to some authors about conflict. And that's where I got started with podcasts. So cool and so interesting. I think that gives us at least some background into you and what we're going to be covering throughout the course of our conversation today. And I want to backtrack it a little bit further back and talk. You obviously have somewhat of an athletic background. You do have an athletic background that we can speak to. You played varsity football four years at Davidson College right here north of Charlotte, North Carolina. So I would just love to learn a little bit more about your athletic upbringings, like what it meant, <clears throat> excuse me, for you to be involved in athletics and maybe what some of the lessons that you learned through athletics were. So some of my favorite times as a child growing up was, was playing sports. You know, we had basically three seasons at the time. It was football season, basketball season, and baseball season. And then we went to the beach in the summer. That's sort of how life <laughs> rotated. So, so I played, uh, you know, basketball for a while. I played pop Warner football. I played Little League baseball. Uh, it was just a lot of fun, and then I, you know, I continued that uh, into high school. I wasn't tall enough or athletic enough to be a basketball player, but I played football, played a little baseball. Davidson gave me a chance. I uh, kind of as a senior in high school, I played at Myers Park. I finally won the starting halfback position as a senior. And the second game, I 
was having a pretty good game when I broke my shoulder. I think I separated and I had, we had, a, you know, our team doctor was an eye doctor. And so he grabbed my <laughs> arm and just kind of raised it up. And don't ever let an eye doctor be, <laughs> be looking at your shoulder. Anyway, I was out for a while and it kind of made me hungry because I missed out on that and I wanted to play in college, but I was undersized. You come walk on, but you probably won't ever start or play much. And that was really kind of motivation I needed. Because I went on to uh, play four years there, and uh, we were a pretty lousy team when I got there. We, I mean, if you looked in the dictionary for the definition of last place in college athletics, you'd probably find Davis in college football <laughs> there. We, we just were not very good my, my freshman year. But we got, we got, to use a Monty Python you know, phrase, but we got better. It was, it was just a freshman to start out with. And, uh, we, you know, so I played uh, – I got a chance to – I guess this is kind of an interesting story. I, you know, we did have an honor code at Davidson, and I, and I abided by Holy a whole four years. But I did tell sort of a, of a white lie when I when we got there because the coaches came in during summer camp, and they said, did anybody ever run back punts in high school? And I'm looking around the room, and there aren't many people raising their hand. Right? <laughs> and so I said, what the hell? And so I just raised my hand. And so I went out there, and it turned out that even though I wasn't the fastest, I was the only one that really could catch the ball on a consistent basis. So that helped me get on the bus, get on the special team, start running back punts for the for the team. And eventually I worked that into a uh, starting position as a strong safety my junior year and played uh, in that position in senior year and had, had a great time. We, we got better. That's an awesome story, and I think it's really just starts to to paint the picture of somebody like yourself and who you've become now in your adult life. I, I think you're very opportunistic person in that story where <laughs> you're telling a, a little white lie if it, if it is, but you are being opportunistic. You're like, yeah, I, you need somebody to run back punts. I, I can do it. Maybe you never had any experience before. And I know that's kind of when we talked offline for the first time, when you were starting your podcast, it was like, yeah, I, I could do a podcast. I've never done one before, but I, I could do one. And I'm sure it was like that in a number of different things in life. So it definitely helps me paint a little bit of a, a clearer picture of, of who you are, the type of personality that you have. Yeah, I do have, I was thinking about this too, as I was coming on here, what I was going to say related to my, you know, athletic ability. Cause you know, we asked a joke in our family land is you're, you're not, you're not, tall but you're slow you know it's kind of like you know okay let's get over that right let's let's uh let's see what we can do but i've always had kind of a walk-on mentality i think in pretty much everything that i've i've done and i've and something about my personality i felt like uh you know coaches can do different things with different folks but i, I was one of the ones that uh, if you told me i couldn't do something that was sort of the best motivation that you could could give me and uh i think uh, kind of having I, i've kind of been a walk-on in a lot of things i was a walk-on you know, going to law school, uh, the idea of, you know, becoming a trial lawyer, the idea of, like you said, starting a podcast. I mean, I didn't know the difference between a mixing bowl and a mixing board. And my wife would say I didn't know what a mixing bowl was when I started <laughs> podcasting. But, uh, you know, it's kind of a thing, you know, why not, right? Why not give it a shot? Why not, why not try? What's the worst that can happen, right? Absolutely. That's a really great mentality to have. Does it seem like throughout – your adult life, just knowing that that's the, maybe the type of work ethic that you have in, in the way that you like to work, you know, you don't like things necessarily just given to you, or you don't like to be privileged or anything like that. Do you find yourself like associating 
with people who are very like-minded with you, like hard workers, people that just want to kind of grind and give it their all all the time? So I do think that you've got to have a balance, uh, you know, working in the law firm for many years. I, I was one of those who would put my head down and be very focused. And while that's a good trait to have and it's a discipline trait, you also need people that can, you know, draw back and see the big picture. So I think for, for any team, for example, whether you're in a law firm or whether you're running a podcast or, you know, whether you're in business or, you know, whether you're coaching Little League or whatever, you got to have sort of different personalities, right? You want people to be focused but uh, not everybody can be ultra serious, right? And uh, that, that was something that I had a little bit too much of at times. And I, I still can. I mean, I can get in a room and start working on something, whether it be the podcast or the book or whatever, and I can look up four or five hours later. And, uh, you know, we could have an earthquake in the backyard. I wouldn't, <laughs> I, I wouldn't know it. So I wouldn't say necessarily that having everybody with that kind of mindset, that kind of focus is always a good thing because somebody's got to be, you know, why watching out for the for the rocks if the ship's too close to the shore, right? If somebody's down there paddling, you know, below the hold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's that's a great descriptor for that. And so I'd love to learn a little bit about how you ended up becoming a lawyer. I know just from a little bit of the background and dialogue between the two of us and things that I've read about you. I mean, you were a history major in college. I wouldn't say that necessarily totally lines up with getting into law in your profession, but how did you decide that that was the path that you wanted to go down, at least one of the first paths that you wanted to go down in your life after sport? So the humor side of that is that uh, making $2.25 an hour working construction and being what they used to call, hey, college boy, please fetch this. That was probably the best thing that motivated me <laughs> to go to law school. Uh, after Davidson, uh, you know, I've been pretty focused, as I said, you know, four years of college athletics, you know, trying to make good grades. And at the end, I was kind of a little bit burnt out, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I kind of took a year off, did an internship. Uh, but then I was kind of, for a year, a buddy of mine who I played with, uh, we were just living in Charlotte, working construction. And, uh, you know, it was uh, it was an opener. I mean, I started to realize, wait a minute, uh, you know, I probably shouldn't be wasting you know what I had learned at Davidson and everything. And uh, uh, I can remember a particular morning; it was pretty cold. We were working at the old Pickways. I don't know if anybody remembers that. It was a radio station. We were. I was trying to put something. I read a story about this one time, but I was trying to drive a stake into the ground. The ground was frozen. I missed the stake, hit my thumb, and I said, "All right, damn it, I'm going back." I'm going back to school. <laughs> I, want, I want a library to work in. And I said, okay, what, what can I do? Well, I'm not going to be a, you know, an engineer. I'm not going to teach math. Uh, I was a history major. Davis. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty good at arguing. So I know I'll go to law school. And that's what I did. And I, I was fortunate. I got into, uh, to Wake Forest, uh, at the last minute again, kind of a walk on. And, uh, you know, um, I did very well after that in law school and uh, was fortunate to get a job with a small firm here in Charlotte at the time called Helms, Mullis, and Johnson. They had about 16 lawyers. It's now through various mergers. It's got more than a 1,000 lawyers across the country in McGuire Woods. And, uh, yeah, so that was uh, you know, the decision to go to law school came about by doing what I called my little big man year. I don't know if anybody's ever seen that movie, Little Big Man. He had about 18 different 
career fighter, preacher, Indian scout for General Custer, all that kind of thing. And so I was, for that year, doing all these different things, working construction, selling coupons, you know, trying to get my real estate license. And I decided, you know, I'm going to get, I got to, let me take that back. Law school, a great way for me to, to develop a, a career that uh, lasted, you know, 35, 36 years. So when you think about your law career now, you're, you're able to reflect and look back a little bit. Were you able to take some lessons and some of that mentality besides maybe the walk-on part of it, but anything else that you learned through athletics? Like how were you able to transfer some of those traits and attributes that you learned in athletic competition and, and make it so that you could use those to your advantage as a lawyer? Did you ever make that connection or ever think about that? Yeah, the, the most difficult thing about the transition was you couldn't hit anybody. I mean, you know, we, <laughs> we, you know, we, we've been trained, right? You know, tackle the other side if they're uh, if they're being mean to you, right? Get by you with the ball. And, and the law, of course, somebody tries to get by you. You know, that's not really the, the best approach to tackle them or, or anything like that. So, yeah, uh, you out on some of the physical side of it, so you had to put that. But actually, I do think the discipline – uh, the idea of uh, needing to work as a team to achieve a result. In, in some respects, I did this during the practice of law, the team side of things, uh, because a lot of times, uh, you know, you're just one person representing. Other times you can't put a team together. But I do think the, uh, the work ethic uh, uh, to uh, prepare, uh, you know, go through essentially – you could kind of uh, – you know, the lead up to getting ready for a trial is to that you know, two weeks of summer camp, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not enjoyable, but it's kind of necessary for the season. Before that trial, you're a bust. You're, you're preparing, you're, you're reading, you're strategizing, you're doing all the things to get ready for a trial. And then the great part of the trial is, you know, that's game time. That's show time. That's when it's fun. That's, that's the part every athlete enjoys, right, is being uh, in the arena. And, that was kind of a little bit of what I was missing when I got into my mid-50s is that uh, litigation becomes so expensive. And a lot of times, if we're doing justice for our client, we would look for ways to try to resolve cases through mediation or settlement or whatever. And very few cases are actually going to trial. I, I did try a number of cases in my career, but I was fortunate in that regard uh, to have uh, – you know, unreasonable clients on both sides. Because <laughs> I, I say that in jest, but essentially <laughs> that's what it takes, you know, to get to a trial these days. And neither side's going to want to settle or, or resolve the case, and, and you're going to put it in the hands of, of six people in federal court or 12 people in state court. And uh, so, yeah, I, I do think that the, the discipline, uh, the preparation side of things, uh, and uh, having to overcome adversity uh, – you know, losing is not easy, right? And and in litigation, like anything else, you're going to lose certain case, you know aspects of the case along the way. You might lose the case itself. I mean, I had a case that went uh, one of the longest civil jury trials in North Carolina history. It went four months, and wow. And, uh, and I came in second. So you know, they're only, they're only two, they're only two parties, right? So um, <laughs> it was. <laughs> you could say, "Hey, you came in second, man. That's great." Yeah. Um, it was kind of interesting. The jury came back the uh, night before my wife and I planned to take our kids to Disney World. And I, I kind of joked, hey, I, I just lost a case. I'm going to, I'm going to Disney World. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
but that was the case that was kind of defining for me and my family because we, we called it before Shelby and after Shelby because my legal career was kind of the first 15, 20 years was before that case and the next 15 or 20 was after that case. And uh, it was just a, a very intense environment, you know, for four months where you're always on every day in court. And uh, funny story about that case is the jury played a little joke on us. Uh, they had been... Uh, you know, they had to be there for four months, right, for this civil case. And when we did our closing arguments, uh, when I came out, they all had red shirts on when I was making my closing argument. And then when the other side made their closing argument, they had black shirts on. And nobody could figure out what, what was going on. After the trial was over, I had a juror call me who said, I'd like to talk to you. I feel like I made a mistake. I shouldn't have voted for the other side. And I said, well, it was kind of late for that, but if you want to talk, sure. And in the conversation, I said, look, I got to know, what, what was the deal with the red shirts and the black shirts? So, well, y'all just kept us there for so long. We just wanted to mess with your minds. So the jury had <laughs> the jury had the last word on that. But, you know, not to not to digress too much, but I do think that, uh, like you said, uh, athletic competition, you know, whether you're a coach or you're a participant, uh, you know, you are in it. You are committed to it. Uh, you put your heart and soul into it uh, when things don't go well. And you lose, you can you, you know you can do one or two things. You can what, quit, or you can get back up and do it again. And uh, you know, I have to remind myself of that sometimes. The older I get, that uh, hey, man, this, you've been through that. When things don't go well, <laughs> damn it, just pick yourself back up and, and go at it again. You know, and uh, I think that's a great mentality for uh, for any business. Uh, it certainly helped me at times in the practice of law. You know, because you don't, despite. You know what some lawyers might say in their advertising: No lawyer ever wins all their cases, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not because they're not a good lawyer. It's just that you know sometimes the facts are the facts, and the law is the law, and uh, you do the best you can for your client. Absolutely, that's really great breakdown. And one of the components that we talk about pretty often on this podcast is that whole transition after college, not totally understanding maybe what it is that you want to do. You try out a couple things, you figure out you don't like it, you put a stake in your foot, whatever the the case may be. And so we talk about that very often on this podcast. But one of the reasons out of many that I wanted to get you on this podcast is because I think your story also really highlights what is fundamentally a, a part of most of our lives if we have the opportunity to live long, full lives. So not only will you go through that transition, most of us, it's after college. What's it like 1% of, of college athletes go pro or something like that? So for most of us, it ends after college if we're fortunate enough to get to that point. And then we have to transition. We have to figure out what we're going to do for the rest of our lives to make a living and, and everything. But where your story is is so great, I think, for this podcast is to say not only – and we're talking about a something primary, right? Like we're talking like primarily you were a lawyer. Obviously you were a lot of other things too. You're a dad, you're a volunteer coach, you're doing a lot of different things, but we're talking about like a primary fundamental shift. And then later in your life, you take another shift. You stop being being a lawyer, you stop practicing law and you get into the more creative realm of things. You are writing books, you are podcasting, and I think it's just really cool and beautifully illustrates how much 
how much time there is in life after sport, <laughs> because I, I know I was a victim of this. And I know a lot of people that listen to this, if they're in sports right now, if they're at the high school collegiate level, they're probably thinking like, it's nearly impossible to consider maybe the next 50 years of your life or without sport. But that 50 years ends up becoming longer than the first 20, 22 years that you were playing a sport. And so it's like, you can do so many different things. And I think your story is really cool in the sense that you were practicing law for, for so long. And now you are doing some, some things that I imagine are, are really fun and things maybe that you would uh, thought about doing for a long time. So I say all of that to get us to the point where I'd love to talk a little bit about what was really the, the moment where you said, Hey, I- I'm thinking about giving up practicing law and I'd like to make this shift into a more creative realm. Was there like one moment that stands out was a longer process than that? Yeah. Well, thank you. First of all, for those, those kind of words, I I think uh, before I address that, I must say picking up on what you just uh, said, that it wasn't as easy for me to separate myself from being an athlete as maybe, you know, uh, you know, you suggested it might be because, um, you know, I, I sort of filled that, gap with coaching. I coached Little League Baseball for 20 years. I decided to help uh, Pop Warner Football get back on its feet. became the commissioner for 11 years. And by the way, I don't wish that job on anybody to be <laughs> in charge of you know, to telling people the rules, uh, you know, because you're the enforcer then, right? And so it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's a I mean, funny story there. Let me digress real quick. Is We had a player eligibility issue and uh, I come to work one morning and I'm coming through the lobby and WBT on your side or whoever, w, whatever it was, you know, they're there with cameras because we had to disqualify a team who had an eligible player. And uh, they said, but Mr. Wade, can we interview you for our show? And I go, well, under, on one condition, I said, if you put everything I say, I won't say much, but let me just, whatever I say. And they said, uh, okay, fine, whatever. And uh, I said, well, you know, we had an ineligible player and uh, it's unfortunate for the children on the team who, are going to be good to participate in the bowl game, but, uh, you know, a rule's a rule. Well, you know, so, so you, you cut back to what they put on the air, and it was, uh, you know, they, they cut to be a picture of Warner Commissioner. They cut to a kid who's crying in his mother's lap because he can't play in the bowl game. And the only quote they put for me is, a rule is a rule. <laughs> and so, you know, when you're the enforcer, you have to make those rules as difficult. And so I found that uh, working in the administrative side wasn't as fun as the coaching side, and that's how I got my fix to kind of stay in athletics. Um, I felt like those were kind of a creative development, but not as creative as the one that I've gone into now. What happened then, to answer your question, was that in my mid-50s, I was kind of, uh, you know, I wasn't getting as many trials as I wanted. We were mired in electronic discovery. That's essentially, you know, chasing each other's hundreds of thousands of emails and litigation. And I, was, I just wasn't as happy, and so I wanted. To, I started writing, and I wrote my first book, and it was about lawyers who saved Christmas. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, I wrote one a year for three years in, in my mid-50s and just had a great time doing it. And uh, that experience, I think, helped me because I was kind of depressed in the mid-50s. My kids had grown up, they'd gone. I'd had the enjoyment of watching my daughter play high school softball, my son play high school baseball. There was none of that anymore. I couldn't go to a ball game. I couldn't sit on the sidelines. I wasn't coaching anymore because I'd given it up to watch them. And I needed something. I needed an outlet. So I decided to start writing. And 
over the years, I had written a little bit. I'd written up every season for the Little League team. We kind of made them sound better than they were, but uh, we wrote up a little summary every year for them and, and kind of stayed involved that way. But I'd never written a book. And so I just sat down and, and started writing one Thanksgiving, wrote it by the time Christmas got there and shared it with a, actually I shared it with the family first as a gift. And you thought I'd given them socks or something. Um, <laughs> and so after that, I shared it with a few friends and someone who'd been published and they put me to an editor and I got it uh, out for the next Christmas. And had such a good time doing it that uh, I wrote the second one and the third one. And when I was thinking about retiring from the law firm and not practicing in court, but maybe still doing a little, arbitration as an arbitrator, I thought, what am I going to do? You know, too many people, and I've got this theory that lawyers, they get beyond a certain point, they can't get out. It's kind of like the Hotel California, you know, (laughs) they'll get stuck, you know, because they'll they'll always say, I don't know what I will do. And I didn't want to be one of those people, one of those lawyers who said, I don't know what I want to do. So I started thinking about it. And I really liked engaging with other authors. I had started going to different organizations, working on my craft, meeting people, Charlotte Rogers Club and North Carolina Writers Network, going to a few conferences. I said, that I know I'll, uh, I'll start a podcast and I'll interview authors. And I was actually, you asked for the pivotal moment, a good friend who is also my massage therapist was working on my back one day and I found out that she'd been a disc jockey in, uh, in Austin, Texas, and we started talking, and she said, sure, I'll go over to the studio with you, and I said, okay, and I grabbed somebody from my critique group, and I said, come on, I want you to be my guinea pig, we're going to go over, and we're going to try this thing, and uh, we did it, and I thought I'd lost the file, I couldn't find it, so that, that was my initiation into podcasting, and I kind of experimented the fall of my, uh, when I was about to retire to see if it would work, and then when I retired in December of 2018, I said, all right, I'm going at this full blast, and and that's what happened. And, you know, I thought, hey, I'll just do a little podcast and I'll write. But what I didn't realize is that, uh, and Colin, you probably know this being doing the podcast that you've done for a long time here, is that uh, that can kind of take on a life of its own. And there are a lot of things that go into it. And, you know, if you're going to do it right, like you do with yours and like I want to do with my podcast, you want to prepare for it, right? You want to get ready. You want to do a decent interview. So you try to prepare for that. So, it's taken more time, but actually it's been very challenging. And, you know, I feel like when you've got a challenge uh, that's in front of you, you know, it makes life more interesting, right? There's never kind of a dull moment. And that's that was kind of the spark as to what said, okay, I'm going to try this. Hey, everyone. Christine here from Sweat with Stods, one of this show's sponsors. The Dynamic Leaders Podcast is here to help you be a better leader. And the best leaders take care of themselves both mentally and physically. I'm here to help on the physical side by making fitness accessible to everyone. As a certified personal trainer with years of experience coaching fitness classes, I've designed programs that can be followed at home and in the gym. These are intelligently structured programs, giving you a plan to follow to help you be successful. Build strength with my Get Strong at Home program, get quick results with Hit at Home 1 or 2, or work on your health outside of fitness with my Healthy Habits program. As a listener, you can get these programs at a discounted rate by entering code DYNAMIC at checkout. That's D-Y-N-A-M-I-C at checkout. So head on over to sweatwithstods.com. That's sweat with S-T-O-D-D-S dot com to take the next step toward achieving your health and fitness goals today. I love that. Uh, two 
quick points before I get to my next question. I really appreciate the Hotel California reference, the Eagles, for those of you that didn't get it. One of my favorite bands, so love that. <laughs> but but uh, to, to your point about podcasting, too, and it's not that I'm trying to toot my own horn or say I'm better, that we're better than most of the people out there, because I've been a listener of your podcast for a while now, especially since I moved down to Charlotte. And I was listening to Dan Levitard probably like three years ago, and he did a segment. He had a bunch of people kept calling in and be like, we could do this better than you. You and Stu Gatz is, is his partner. They're like, we can do it. They're ESPN radio. They just talk sports, pop culture, even politics now these days and things like that. And he's like, all right, we're, we're going to see what you guys can do. We're going to have a segment. And all these people called in. It was It was terrible. Like not only were they were they bad, but they knew they were bad because Dan would give them an opportunity afterwards to like kind of grade themselves, and they were like, "Yeah, that that was way harder than I thought it was going to be." And it's the same thing with the podcasting world, where it's like it's so easy to start a podcast, right? But to your point, there's a lot of work and there's a lot of preparation that goes into creating something. If you're if you're trying to put content out on a consistent basis, you put out two shows a week, I put out one show a week, and, and it's like. You can't you can't just fly by the seat of your pants when when you're doing something like that. Like if you're putting out one podcast every six months or something like that, sure, you know maybe you'll run into a good interview here and there. But when you're trying to establish con- consistency and you're trying to grow things, so I think that it's just a, a really important reminder whether you're starting a podcast, whether you're writing a book, whether you want to practice law, anything that you've talked about today one of the common themes just keeps coming back to the hard work that you've put in and the, and the results of that, I think speak for themselves. So it's, I think it's a really great reminder for our listening audience that these things don't happen by mistake. I mean, they may be like I talked about earlier, you may be a little bit of a, of an opportunist and, and that's okay, but these things aren't happening by mistake. You're not becoming successful as a writer after you practice law for 30 plus years and you're not becoming a successful podcast because you're not putting work in. You're just getting lucky. You're putting the work in and that's what's getting you to this point. So great reminder and something I just really want to highlight about you. Yeah, well, thank, thank you for those kind of words. And uh, I may need to write those down and stick them on the wall for those days. Like, <laughs> had a couple weeks ago where the computer froze up and the internet froze up and I lost my email accounts and I couldn't get them back on. And several remote recording episodes failed because, uh, you know, the internet went down or people didn't have the right equipment. So yeah, you know, it's, uh, you're always presented with challenges and, uh, you know, for me, probably for you too, I think uh, I've been doing all my, all my first 100 interviews on Charlotte Reader's podcast were in the studio. And uh, I hit my 100th episode on April the 28th. But, you know, what happened in April, right? So, you know, I had to try to figure out this remote podcasting thing. And uh, that was another challenge. And uh, I do have to say, and I have to remind myself of this, and that is that, you know, when one door closes, another opens. And that happened for me with COVID and this, I had this idea that I only wanted to be in the studio, but it limited my ability to get guests on beyond the region. And when this happened and I had to learn something new, I was able to get Craig Johnson on for my 100th episode. He's written Longmire series. If anybody I've heard of it, it's uh, on Netflix and uh, went for six seasons. And, and uh, so I got him on the show and I would never done that without this. And then I'm starting to get submissions from around the country now 
and because I do remote podcasting now, I can do that. I want to get back in the studio because I want to be face to face with people, but you can't always have it that way. Just like coaches can't have what they want now, you know, with their uh, athletic teams, uh, it's just uh, we got to adjust. And I guess uh, adjustment is part of the process too, right? Yeah, absolutely. The adjustment and adaptability, and that's that's what's going to allow you to continue to do the work that you love. If you didn't adapt, you wouldn't be putting. We wouldn't be doing this podcast, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, well, so we we have a little bit of time left here, and, and I'd love to focus a, a little bit of that time just on the future and what you mentioned the podcast, and you've already reached 100 episodes. I reached 100 episodes this year. It's a, it's a big threshold, and I think a big accomplishment given the amount of podcasts that start and never go anywhere. But I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about what you have drummed up for the future of the podcast if you have anything from a writing aspect for book ideas or anything that you're in the process of writing at this point yeah so thanks for that i uh, so it's charlotte readers podcast where authors give voice to the written words and uh we've probably got now about 110 15 episodes that are out there two episodes a week a long form show on tuesday more of a deep dive, the Friday show I call it the Under the Covers episode because we get in and get out in about 25 minutes because there are too many great authors in the region and not enough time. So that's a lot of fun. And uh, I'm already recording this summer. I wish I had an assistant. That was the one thing. I went from a law firm where I had assistant, associates, all this stuff to do. And now I'm the scheduler. I'm the producer. <laughs> I'm the, I, you know. And so I've been setting up uh, interviews for the fall, this summer, and I've got a great season lined up. We've got a, a number of best-selling uh, local and regional authors who are going to be on the podcast. Uh, it'll be fun. So that's kind of on the future on the podcast front. And, you know, I'm going to kind of get to probably 150 episodes in the fall. I'll get close to 175 in a year. I'll, I'll then try to figure out and drop back and see, okay, what do I want to do in 2021? You know, because we're always making adjustments and always making changes, right? Uh, I added the second show in 2020. Uh you know, because I wanted a show that was longer and shorter. So that's kind of what we're you know, thinking about. I want to build up more time for writing. I do have a, another book I'm working on. Uh, and uh, I guess on the, the plug for the first three books, I'm probably going to go back now and create some audio books this fall for my three Christmas books. Uh, and for those that are interested in kind of, if you like My Cousin Vinny or Miracle on 34th Street, this is kind of a mashup between the two. It's a kind of humorous courtroom drama. Uh, it's an arc, three books, uh, a series. But I, I think I'm going to get a team to help me put together, uh, you know, the audio books and maybe focus more on ebook marketing for those com- coming this Christmas. And I'm going to try to make some time to write this next thing I'm working on, which I think is going to be a, uh, I think it's going to be kind of a mystery involving a lawyer who gets kicked out of his big law firm, ends up in a retirement community, and has to solve a mystery. Uh, that involves a historical event in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, so that's kind of what I'm toying with at the moment and uh, doing some short work, doing some short pieces, and things like that. Uh, and I'm hoping, goodness, that, uh, you know, we get through this COVID thing so I can get back to watching uh, Knights Baseball and the Panthers and some of the other things that, uh, you know, we like to do here in Charlotte. But, uh, you know, that's uh, – you know, when you go to the doctor and I have my physical day and they ask you that question, uh, have you ever, have you felt depressed lately? You feel like, the, and I thought, <laughs> any more so than anybody else who's going through this time in COVID? Probably not. Uh, 
I feel better than when I had to fill out a timesheet every day as a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't feel great that we're not in community as much as we were, right? And, mm-hmm. and that's really what I miss. And I'm just really sad that, uh, you know, that uh, the kids lost their spring seasons uh, to COVID uh, and uh, really feel for them. And I hope that that, uh, you know, maybe allows some of those kids to go play at another level if they want to maybe use that as inspiration or something to, to do that uh, but for me personally um i think it's still going to be podcasting and, and writing and uh, uh i should probably put exercise on the list somewhere uh, <laughs> but uh that's kind of what's what's ahead for me colin i appreciate it you know as you know as a podcaster there's a lot of planning ahead it's kind of like game planning a little bit right sure you, you try you're trying to set up the game plan. Okay, who are we gonna who are we gonna play with this week? And uh, you know, what are their strengths and weaknesses? And what what should we focus on with them? And how do we bring out uh, some things that our guests might, our, our listeners might find you know, interesting? And I hope it didn't screw it up too bad for you today. <laughs> no, you didn't didn't screw it up at all. This this has been a, a super enjoyable conversation. And Landis, before we get to my final question, if people want to follow along with you or the podcast, where can we find you on social media? I know you're building up all that presence, but where can we find you? Yeah, so on Facebook and Instagram, it's uh, Charlotte Reader's Podcast. Uh, on Twitter, it's at Charlotte Reader. Uh, you can find all out about me and connect with me at uh, the website, charlottereaderspodcast.com, and uh, that's all one word. And before I leave that, Colin, I need to let the listeners know that, uh, you know, you're going to be on the podcast. You're going to be on the Under the Cover Show with your book that's coming out about uh, dynamic leadership and uh, your foray into the Yankees. Uh, I think uh, people ought to be on the lookout for that. That'll be in September, probably toward the end of September when I come out on the podcast. So uh, we had a good time talking, and I look forward to putting that out there uh, on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. And it'll, I think, line up pretty well for what the targeted start date is. And we'll get all that information out to the public here in the near future. But I will get all of the information about where to find the show, where to find you into the show notes, easy reference for our listening audience. And before I let you go, the show is called Dynamic Leaders. And I love to give my guests an opportunity to shout out someone who's been dynamic in their own life from either a leadership standpoint or just in general, somebody that's really had a big influence on you. Do you have somebody that you'd like to give a quick shout out to? Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, I thought about this Colin, cause I've heard that question on your podcast before. And, uh, <laughs> unfortunately I'm not going to pick, a you know, a contemporary pop culture figure or anything like that. Uh, I'm, I'm going to, and you've probably, you may have heard this before, but, uh, I'm gonna have to say my father, um, he was, sort of a Southern gentleman lawyer. He, he led, um, by example, he was a quiet man, but, uh, people listened when he talked, uh, he, you know, always was there watching me, uh, play sports. In fact, he, he gave up, uh, officiating high school football, even after he'd been selected to officiate the Shrine Bowl so he could watch me play high school football. He never pushed me, you know, into sports. Uh, he, uh, just kind of always there and uh i, I think about him a lot uh, we lost him a couple years ago but uh he was president of a local bar he everybody liked him he didn't try to push his way through things and i think i've thought about that a lot and particularly in light of the, the title of your podcast uh, dynamic leaders i think about leaders who 
who really are approachable, who you know, who walk the walk, who lead by example, who are, who are always positive, who uh, not looking at the negative, but they're looking at the positive. And that was my father. He, he was he was always that way. I can't say that I've always been that way, but I've tried in my later years to think a lot about that, think about those examples that he gave uh, to me as a leader. And, and I think that's what I like in leaders. Um, it's not necessarily John Belushi shouting, you know, <laughs> let's go get them kind of thing. <laughs> uh, he, he was he was more quiet. He was more uh, approachable. He, he, he led by his example. And uh, I think uh, he, 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 was a, he was a great example for me. Yeah, I think that's a great shout out and obviously speaks to a lot of, I think, your character and the type of work that you're doing. It's definitely the answer I get most often when I answer, where, excuse me, when I ask that question is is parents. So, uh, and then uh, <laughs> the Belushi, I mean, that's just a, a classic scene. If if you haven't seen it, just type in Animal House John Belushi and, and it'll, yeah. it'll come up with a, a nice fun result for you if, if you haven't seen that before. <laughs> And if I could, Con, I just want to shout, I want to say this too, it's that uh, my mother, who is now dealing without my father, her companion, for, for more than 60 years, I've learned a lot from her as well about the ability to uh, to keep going mm-hmm. in the face of uh, a, a, a tragedy, you know, the, the loss of someone's, but I mean, she, she has, you know, that Energizer bunny that used to be on, you know, just, just kept going <laughs> yeah. and... and so I, I think doing, and, and she's sort of led with that example, continuing to do, continuing to be, continuing to, to be involved and engaged and doing things, um, I think is a way to kind of get through difficult moments. And uh, I've always said that if I start feeling uh, like I'm getting down on myself or something, that I should just go do something, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's she's been an influence there as well. Sorry to give you a two for one. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's a great two for one, and and honestly, a, a really great way to end this conversation. I, I've enjoyed it so much, Landis, and, I, and I'm glad we're we've connected. And once things clear up, I'm sure we'll uh, grab a cup of coffee and you know continue to build the relationship here. But uh, I appreciate you taking some time here to hop on my podcast and share your story, your expertise and your guidance and encourage people to give the podcast a listen, check out your books. Again, all that information will be in the show notes, but thank you again, Landis, for taking the time to join the show. Hey, Colin, it's been uh, my honor and privilege. I really appreciate the chance to talk with you and I think you've got a great uh, great podcast here good luck